Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China is coming to terms with a worrying symbol of economic decline, deflation. Although falling prices might sound welcome news to those hoping to buy a bargain, they suggest serious trouble in important sectors, such as the property market, which was once a driving force behind China's growth. So is the world's second biggest economy in danger of a serious slump? Or is this a relatively short-term problem, which could be resolved through prudent official action? I'm very pleased to welcome back to the podcast this week an expert who's made a successful career from studying China's economy. Duncan Wrigley is Chief China Plus Economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics, and he's independent of any state-owned Chinese enterprise. Duncan, welcome back to China in Context. It's good to make another Double Duncan episode with you. Thanks for having me again, Duncan. It's always great to be on a podcast with another Duncan. (laughs) Now, can I start by offering my thanks for the report that you share with me regularly about macroeconomics? I found it a very useful guide to what's going on in China and indeed internationally. You made a striking claim in your newsletter last week. You said, China is already exporting deflation to the rest of the world. Why did you say that? Right. Well, let me make a quick distinction. Uh, The word deflation sometimes has very scary connotations, and I would you know, regard that as deflation with a capital D. So that is associated with episodes like the Great Depression in the 1930s or Japan's prolonged period of very slow growth since its bubble burst uh, since the 1990s. Then deflation in the sense that I mean it here, with a small d, if you like, simply means that prices are falling. So what we're saying is China's exporting goods that are cheaper now and then last few months compared with last year. And, you know, that's quite helpful for the rest of the world, which is struggling from inflation. Let me break things down a bit. I understand that the prices of pre-owned homes in China have fallen sharply in many big cities, perhaps also new ones, although I'm looking forward to what you say about that. And also in your report, you say that producer price deflation moderated to minus 3% in August 2023. So I'm assuming that means prices across the board. And that's significant because you're also saying that there was a fall in producer price inflation of 4.4% in July. That's a big number, actually. So could you explain the connection between what's happening in the property sector and what's going on elsewhere in the Chinese economy? Right. So let's break that down a bit. So producer prices is the the gauge of prices when they come out of the factory gate. Um, And those prices tend to be a lot more volatile than consumer prices, which is what the prices are when you go to the the shop and buy things. Uh, There tends to be a bit of a cushion between producer prices and, and consumer prices. So, you know, we did actually see consumer prices in China fall very slightly in July, and they seem to be rising again in in the most recent reading in August. Um, The the connection between what's happening between broader prices in the whole economy and property prices, um, there's a couple. Let me just uh, hone down on one or two. 
So one is confidence. In China, uh, houses are the biggest source of wealth for most people. And if they see home prices falling, well, they naturally get worried about the direction of the economy and they hold back on spending. And that tends to have a ripple effect on uh, prices for broader things, certainly demand for consumer goods. Um, the second effect is, is more direct. It's simply the, the property sector is about 25% of the entire Chinese economy. And when things slow down in the property sector it has a knock-on effect for things like furniture, but also upstream for uh, building materials, steel and so forth. And so therefore it can have a ripple effect on prices in the broader economy. When we talk about COVID, very severe measures known as the zero COVID curbs placed a lot of onerous restrictions on the movement of people and goods around China while the pandemic was raging. And we know that that hobbled the Chinese economy. But what takes me a bit by surprise now are claims that even now, in the summer of 2023, long after those restrictions were lifted, some businesses are saying that the situation is actually worse than before. I read an interview with a man who runs a wallpaper factory uh, in the eastern province of uh, Jiangsu. He said that much to his regret, he's having to tell his employees to take days off work. And of course, they're not paid for that. And the reason is there's simply not enough demand for wallpaper which might be connected to what you were talking about in terms of the slump on the property market, Duncan. But he does say, this is not just an issue affecting my factory, the entire industry is in trouble. How does that fit in with the stories that you're hearing? Yes, it does fit in with some of the stories I'm hearing, Duncan. Um, you know, one big difference this year compared with during COVID is the rest of the world. So... The rest of the world, the, the global economy is, is weak this year and big countries like the US or economies like the EU are slowing down, flirting with the recession, I think it's fair to say. Whereas during the pandemic, China was able to export a lot of stuff. It was able to keep factories running to export to the rest of the world. It had this advantage during periods of the pandemic that many of its competing production centers elsewhere in the world were more disruptive uh, than China, and therefore China was able to fill in the gap, exporting things like wallpaper, as you mentioned, electronic devices, furniture, all this kind of stuff. And so during periods of the pandemic, actually, many of China's factories were operating pretty well. I wonder if there's a connection with another of China's social problems, youth unemployment. We hear a lot about the difficulties that young people have getting jobs. Is this uh, connected with the slump in the property market and deflation? Yes, there is a, a certain connection. So the typical kind of sectors that employ young people, especially graduates, and, and employment is unemployment is particularly high amongst the graduate population compared with the broader youth population. Um, those kind of sectors right now are struggling more than the rest of the economy. So you know, big sectors traditionally in China for soaking up graduates are uh, real estate we've been talking about, but also finance, the internet sector, and online and education and, and general um, tutoring. Um, you know, those sectors are going, they're undergoing their own issues, property, finance to do with the slowing down the economy. 
But internet and online education also had a policy crackdown in 2020 um, as part of a raft of regulations to try to regulate these previously uh, ungoverned sectors, if you like. And they're still feeling the ramifications of the, that policy tightening now, and that's having an impact on youth unemployment. Well, thanks for clarifying those connections, Duncan. Um, now, look, when I started as a journalist covering business and economics, I was puzzled by deflation. I thought that people would be pleased when things are getting cheaper. I mean, when you go to a shop and they, they say 30% off, I thought it would cheer people up to see that there was a bargain. You know, looking back, I can now see that that was a bit naive because as a result of talking with experts like you over the years, I've learned that what actually happens is that when deflation occurs, people suspend their spending on the assumption that they'll be able to buy the goods even more cheaply at some later stage because the prices are falling. And then that casts a shadow over the overall economy. How do you read things? Yeah, I, I think that story is very applicable for a certain set of things that people buy. And those are big ticket items. Um, in those cases, so let's say cars, houses, some other more expensive consumer goods, you know, they make a big dent in people's pocketbooks. And if you think that the price is going to fall in the near future, it makes a lot of sense to hold off. I mean, that is one of the issues that has been hitting the housing market recently because people expect in many cities prices to fall. Um, and so if you think, well, the price might drop by 5-10% in the next six months, considering it's such a large outlay to buy a house, you will certainly hold off um, in hope that the price will come down that much. But I would say that it's a bit different when you're talking about like everyday things. If you're talking about food or um, toilet paper was obviously a big thing in, during the pandemic, but it just just daily stuff. Um, prices going up and down tend to make less difference in, in terms of people's consumption behaviour. Can we talk about China's exports? I mean, it's always a danger to read out a long list of numbers on the radio because it's quite hard to grasp statistics in this format. But nevertheless, look, I've got your latest report, and you say that exports extended their fall to 8.8% in August from a 14% drop in July. Now, in terms of exports, that sounds like a very sharp decline. And I'm assuming that for China, a great exporting nation, which makes all kinds of things which I use every day, this represents a very significant problem. No wonder people are worried. Yeah, I think there are two things going on. So number one, the global economy is weak and you see exports falling from other big export countries like Korea, Japan. But number two, China had this big, massive rise in exports during the pandemic because it was the last factory standing in the world. And now there's going to be a sharper correction for Chinese exports, I think, than other trading partners. What that means for China domestically is there are fewer jobs. Um, so for example, there's plenty of stories of migrant workers who last year were working in relatively well-paid jobs in export factories. This year, they're forced to take lower paid, 
delivery jobs, ride-hailing drivers, that kind of thing in the service sector. So they've had a de facto income cut, and that has repercussions because it means there's less spending power and less likelihood that consumption is going to pick up as much as people had hoped. So what's been the response of the government and the People's Bank of China? How do they intend to deal with these problems? Well, so the government and the People's Bank of China have a long memory. And they remember after the global financial crisis, China really stepped in with a mega stimulus that was super effective in terms of stimulating the economy. But it led to a huge debt hangover. And then they spent much of the last decade up to COVID trying to remedy the debt hangover and some of the related issues, such as overinvestment. This time round, what they are determined to do is not repeat that. And so what we're seeing is a very different response. We're seeing not a mega stimulus, but what I would characterize as targeted support. Uh, most recently, there has been some very specific support for the property sector in certain big cities, reducing mortgage payment terms. There's a bit of support also in terms of lending for some of the traditional investment sectors in infrastructure, manufacturing capacity, that kind of thing. So there, there are these stimulus policies happening. But I think the important thing to uh, bear in mind is that the scale of stimulus is very measured. It's very calibrated. The goal of policymakers this time around, I believe, is to kind of stabilize the economy, get it back on track, but for a fairly low growth rate for China. It's not going to be the same kind of all-out mega stimulus that we've seen in the past, at least a very strong growth, and China propelling the global economy. That's not happening this time around. Well, thank you, Duncan. It's been great to get your insights. That was Duncan Wrigley, Chief China Plus Economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.